Hi, this is Rabbi Chaim Mintz, and welcome to our ninth podcast, The Mensch, where each week I take topics from the news and we discuss it. And maybe we can come up with a great way to make right choices to be a mensch. The big news this week, the big news, bigger than the vice president pick, is something that really is historic, is that Israel and the United Arab Emirates got together and they're working to have a peace deal. Do you, do you understand what that means? None of the Arab neighbors for 25 years have gotten together with Israel. The last one was Jordan. Egypt and Jordan has semi-nice relationships with Israel. But everybody else has been in constant, we don't want anything to do with you, we don't want to have any trade with you. And guess what? Today, the Trump administration announces that Israel and the United Arab Emirates are going to have a deal. They're going to trade embassies. They're going to do flights to each other, which is really, could you imagine what it looks like to have Arab insignia landing at Tel Aviv? And not only that, could you imagine a Jewish star landing in the United Arab Emirates? I mean, whoa, that is huge. It's going to be a summit. It's going to be called the Abraham Summit. And the reason why it's called the Abraham Summit is because, um, as the president said, because Abraham is the father of the three major religions, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And therefore, all three religions are basically getting together to have this. One of the things that Israel has to agree with is right now not to expand on their settlements, etc., etc., which is a good thing, which opens the door for other peace treaties, maybe even with the Palestinians, which also will open up the door, is other Arab countries will also now, if the UAE can do it, if the UAE can do it, why can't other countries do it? Now, what does the United Arab Emirates get out of it? They have the intelligence of Israel and the power of the United States because the United Arab Emirates are right there in the Strait of Hormuz, right near Iran. And I got to tell you something. Nobody wants to be in the backyard of Iran without any protexia or phenomenal intelligence. So this is a win-win for the United Arab Emirates. For Israel, obviously, it's a wonderful win because they get a friend in the region. What about the Palestinians? What about them? Believe it or not, I'm reading out of the CNN report. I'm reading right there is the officials from the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organizations, have already rejected the agreement to establish bilateral relations between the United Arab Emirates and Israel. So they're not it. And it goes on to say that the Palestinian people on the, in the West Bank that don't reject it are in cahoots. They're, in other words, they're walking a lockstep with Hamas. Now, the reason why I bring up Hamas because Gaza and the West Bank is all part of what they want as the Palestinian state. Hamas is a terrorist organization. The PLO is trying to be what they call moderate. But they're in lockstep. They both rejected it. The reason why they rejected it is because they don't believe that Israel should exist. Now, funny, we have one thing. I just want to bring up one thing before I get back to the great news of the day. Rashida Tayyib, she is a congresswoman. And she is a Palestinian herself that came to America. And she says, we won't be fooled by another Trump-Netanyahu deal. 
He said the heart of the issue has never been planned, full annexation and ongoing, ongoing apartheid, she says. So she goes and looks at Israel as an occupier of any land that Israel is on, and she wants us off, which is what the PLO, is what Hamas also want. They want Israel not to exist. The United Arab Emirates recognize they're not a bad neighbor to have in the neighborhood, especially when you have a wicked Iran. I love it for one reason. It takes away some of the pressure from Israel. Israel, I bless you for peace. United Arab Emirates, God bless you for opening up your eyes. Our president, whatever you did with your team, thank you. Nobody has done this for 25 years. And may this exist for many years to come. Let's hope this is the beginning where the nations of the world will start looking at Israel and say, we need you. We need you to be our friend because of all the wonderful things that we can have together. God bless this beautiful treaty. God bless America for being the power behind it all. These two sides acted like a mensch. We got to be happy about that. Wow. Hi, welcome back to the mensch. What is the second biggest piece of news that happened this week? Of course, the Vice President Joe Biden, who's running for president of the Democrat Party, picked Kamala Harris to become vice president. Now, it made a lot of big splash. But I'm not going to get into whether she's good or was not good. That'll leave to other people. But you know what I was fascinated about? The perks. That these people who become vice president and president, what they get. Do you think that just the job? I got to tell you something. There's some really cushy perks that you get when you start getting into the president and vice president role. The most important thing is, now the reason why I say this about Kamala Harris, because my opinion is I don't think Biden's going to be there for all four years. He just may step down and Kamala is going to become the new president if they win. So she's going to have the ultimate perk, which is Air Force One. <laughs> Do you know what Air Force One is all about? I got to tell you something. And I, I, I don't know why, but I just started looking stuff up. First and foremost, let me give you some facts that are going to blow your mind. Did you know the name Air Force One, because that's what they call it, Air Force One, was established because of an accident in 1953? That's right. At that time, there was a flight called the Eastern Airlines 8610 was crossing paths with the president's plane which at that time was always known as Air Force 8610. You see, the Air Force plane was always called 8610. They were both coming in to the same airport. Eastern Airlines heard 8610. You can come in for landing. Air Force One, the, the, the president's plane thought, you were talking to me. These two planes started coming in together. They said, we cannot have that ever happen again. So immediately what they did was, the Air Force called it, we're giving you one number. One. Because no other plane gets one number as a flight. So therefore, it's called Air Force One, but it was not official until 1962. Do you know when Air Force One gets its name? Only when the president is on the plane. But when the president's not on the plane, 
It's just a plane. Did you know the president has another special thing called Marine One? Well, many of you heard of it because that picks up the president from the White House lawn and flies him to the plane. The moment he gets on that helicopter, it's called Marine One. Here's what something I bet you don't know. Have you ever heard of Air Navy One? I know you heard of Air Force One. I know you heard of Marine One. But did you ever hear of Air Navy One? Hmm. It only happened one time in history that a plane was called Air Navy One. When did that happen? When George Bush flew to a Navy ship to declare the Gulf War was over, he took a regular Navy ship to land on the aircraft carrier. The moment the president gets onto that plane, it's called one. It's the first time that the Navy ever escorted the president on an airplane. And therefore, only one time in history did, it, did the Navy ever get an Air Navy one. Pretty interesting. Now, by the way, just a few other things. When did Air Force One lift off with a president? Think about it. Could you, when did it ever happen in history that the president was on the plane, but by the time he landed, Air Force One was no more Air Force One because the president wasn't the president? Could you tell me when? Think about it for a second. Plane lifts off, the president's on the plane. It happened one time. By the time it landed, there was no more Air Force One because the president wasn't on the plane. Hmm, that's a good question. When could that ever happen? The answer is when President Nixon resigned from president, when he lifted off, it was before noon. He got onto the president's plane to take him to California. By the time he was in midair, Gerald Ford was sworn in as president. So Nixon went on to the plane as president, Air Force One. By the time he landed, it was a regular plane carrying a regular civilian. Now I'll give you another fun fact that people don't know about Air Force One. Did you know that a president is always sworn on the steps of the Capitol? Could you tell me when an inauguration for a president was sworn in as president on the plane of Air Force One? That's right, not on the steps, but up in the air. There was a president that was sworn in. Hmm, great question. Do you know when it happened? When JFK Kennedy was shot. We needed a president quickly. So on the way back to Washington, Lyndon Johnson was inaugurated. That was his inauguration. And that was when he was sworn in as president. I mean, he's a real cool thing. By the way, do you know how many Air Force play Air Force One planes there really are? There are two. One that you always see him flying, and a second one that is always in a hangar just in case this one breaks down. Now I got a question for all the people listening out there. Has the president ever run the whole government, and the whole government was on Air Force One? Did that ever happen? And the answer is yes. On September 11th, President Bush lifted off from Florida and was flying back to Washington. A call came into the White House. That was, we know where Angel is. Angel is the code word that only the Secret Service know. Whenever they talk about Air Force One, they say, an angel is flying. The fact that the code was cracked, they recognize that somebody out there may know where the president is and know that he's an Air Force One. 
So immediately they changed his route. He did not go to Washington. He kept up in the air for a while, and he had to run the whole government for hours up in the air. A lot of people don't know that. By the way, here's some quick facts, and then I have one last fact that's really going to blow your mind away. Air Force One is 230 feet long and six stories high. It is big. It's fully stocked with a medical center and doctors and nurses. It has two full kitchens. There's guest compartments that people can sleep. Every seat is now business class, even for the reporters. President quarters are under the nose of the airplane. The 747, yeah, the Air Force One has a shower. The Air Force One has the ability to shoot flares. So if a missile is coming in after it, the heat-seeking missiles will go after the flares and miss the plane. While Air Force One is in the air, it's always called the White House in the sky. There is another one that has never, ever been touched. It's called Air Force Plane. No, it's not called Air Force. It's not called Air Force. It's called Air Force Plane. That plane is the entire Pentagon in the sky. Where is it located? In Oklahoma. It has a nickname. It's called the Doomsday Plane. That means... If the president is ever on that plane, it means we're being attacked by missiles and the president has to get up out of the plane, out of the, off the ground, out of the White House, and he has to get into the doomsday plane and he runs the whole Pentagon. It is ready 24 hours a day. It takes 15 minutes for it to be told, get up in the air. It can fly for days in the air. It's called the doomsday plane. That is amazing. Did you know we have new planes being made now? That's right. In, two, in 2024, two new planes will be called Air Force One because what we have up there is right now outdated. We need new stuff. It's costing $2 billion. That's amazing, guys. There's so much about these perks. I want to be vice president. Joe Biden, why didn't you pick me? I'm a mensch. Truth of the matter is, you know what it is to be in one of these planes? That's one thing for sure. If you get invited to fly on Air Force One, you know you're going to be treated like a mensch, and you better act like a mensch. Kamala Harris, if you become vice president and president, that's going to become your new digs for four years, maybe eight. Wow, what a perk. God bless this country. Welcome back to the Mensch. And this is the part of the show that I really like because I get questions from my producers. But to tell you how it goes, Jack, take it away. Hi, Rabbi. This is What Would a Mensch Do? These are quick bites asking topical questions from today's news. For the first question, Joe Biden's selection, Kamala Harris, is the first woman and person of color selected to be a presidential running mate. Also, her husband is possibly the first Jewish person and first second gentleman in the White House. You know, it's not the first time that there's a chance for a Jewish person to be a like a husband to somebody in the Oval Office. I got to be honest with you, this happened once before. Senator Joe Lieberman from Connecticut, he was actually going to be vice president if Al Gore became the president of the United States. So it's not our first time. I will say one thing. When I used to work on the radio station KFI, 
I got a pass to be able to go to the Democrat National Convention that was here in Los Angeles at the time. And I was there the night that they nominated Joe Lieberman to be um, become president of the vice president of the party. And I got to tell you something. Joe Lewis was there. The, John Lewis that was there, I mean. And he went up there and said, what a beautiful day for America that a Jew has been nominated that will be able to get to one of the most powerful places in the office. And I remember he came down after the speech. He came down and he's standing right next to me. And I remember walking over to him and I hugged him. And I said, thank you for saying that. And I got one thing to tell you. I believe in my lifetime, I'm going to see an African-American become president of the United States. And he looked at me and he said, that's what makes the two of us special. We look at America in a positive light. But yeah, it happened already that we almost had a, a Jewish person not to be a husband to somebody in the office. We almost we were that close of having a Jewish vice president. Great question. It seems like there won't be college football in 2020. Rabbi, what does this mean for the talented young men who may lose out on a career by not playing, not being seen, and not being drafted? What's the solution? You know... This is a very, very tough situation because in, in order to get to the NFL, you really have to play well. And these people are not going to be able to shine. All people that were on the way up needed this year to really learn from their coaches to that by next year, which is their last year to prove that they can get into the NFL. A lot of people are losing out. But it's not just the football players. That are losing out. We have a whole generation of kids that are not getting the emotional support by being in school. There's a lot of kids that are learning through Zoom. They're not learning properly. As great as the teachers are, this is not the ultimate way. There's a lot of negativity that is happening because of Corona through education. I really pity these guys. They really could have striven to become better people. What about all those people that can't go and study piano, but they could be the next Beethoven because they can't get into school and be taught? There's a lot. There's a lot. Corona is not only messing with the NFL, you know, the future of the NFL draft. It's messing with any kid that's in education of what their future will be. It's really, really going to be tough over the next few years. We're going to have to watch what's going on. That's a great question, but we're going to need a magnifying glass how it affects us in the next few years. Thanks, Rabbi. With many schools going mostly virtual, there are still many college students moving back to school. Personally, my girlfriend is moving back to college because she feels pressure mounting from her housing lease. Stories like that are common throughout America. Rabbi, if there indeed is a potential health risk to students, should landlords be forced to allow students out of their apartment and housing leases? How would this be done, and could the government compensate those landlords? <sighs> you really know how to... That's tough questions. See, here's the problem. On one hand, we sign contracts and we have to honor contracts. You're never allowed to go out of a contract. If I say that I'm going to go and rent a house from you, I'm legally bound to rent a house from you. Can you imagine I buy a car? Oh, I can't pay right now for whatever reason. Does that mean I don't have to pay anymore? What about the landlord? They're paying a mortgage based on your rent. And is it for the government to always bail out all of these issues? These are big, big questions. Personally, I believe 
that the landlord should recognize that it's almost impossible for everybody to pay. But they should work out something. Give me 10%. Give me 15%. It's not my fault that this happened. Give me something, and I'll hold the apartment for you. Now, you can go and say like this, but I don't need the apartment because the school's not there. That's not my – you take it up with the school, but you have a contract with me. You see, in Judaism, contracts cannot just be broken because a person goes and says, oh, well, something happened. I can't pay anymore. No, you got to be responsible for your signature. you got to be responsible because people plan their lives around you. But this has to be some type of a mercy. Maybe the government could give money, but it has to be paid back. So give money to the landlord. But when the person starts paying back their rent, you have to give the money back to the government. There's no freebie here. So I'm helping you, maybe we can say to government, that you can be able to pay your mortgage. But when Miss Smith starts paying for her rent, you're going to have to give me a portion of that rent because you owe me for bailing you out the loan. I'll do it non-interest. Maybe that's the best way to go about doing it. But if I was a student, by law, I still have to keep on paying. I have a contract with you. doesn't sound good, but that's the menschy thing to do. Thanks so much, Rabbi. For a final question, this one's a little more lighthearted than the others. Um, AMC Theaters is reopening their doors next week with 15 cent tickets on opening day. Are you and kidding me? Yeah, no, I'm not kidding. Cent? 15 cents. 15 cents. So 15 cent tickets on opening day and $5 tickets following after for a short while. So for such low prices, would the mensch go to a movie theater right now? I would go to the movie theater just to give you 15 cents to sit a whole day in air conditioning. Are you kidding me? Do you know how people in the good old days, people don't know this, but in the 50s and the 60s, there used to be banners outside movie theaters. We have air conditioning, and people would pay 15 cents, 20 cents to go to a double matinee for six hours. They would sit in the air conditioning. Who cared what they were playing? Because we didn't have air conditioning in our hot, humid homes in New York. So it's like 100 degrees outside. Duh, 15 cents? Yeah, I'd go. Give me blinders. I don't care what's on the screen. But boy, will it be good. Air conditioning. I don't have to pay for the electricity. I'm in. Welcome to the final segment of The Bench. I always like ending with a story or something with a moral. But being that we have in the news today, the United Arab Emirates and Israel getting together, I want to tell you a cute story. It's a story that has to do with Shabbos, the, Shabbat, the beautiful Sabbath that we Jewish people have at the end of the week. The story takes place in Jerusalem. There's a man by the name of Rabbi Chaim Hanan. Each Friday night, he would go down to the Western Wall, and he would watch everybody praying, and then he would wait until everybody left. And then he would look around, and he would ask the ones that were straggling, do you have a place to eat? Shabbat dinner, Shabbos dinner tonight. And he would go from person to person, and they all said yes. Whoever didn't, he would bring him to his home, sometimes six people, sometimes eight people, because he felt if a Jew doesn't have a place to eat Friday night, they're coming to my house. He's well known for this. He's a great guy. 
something happened one time. There was one guy standing there by himself, and he was had a nap, and he had a backpack on, and he was standing by the wall, and he was just sobbing. And he goes over to the guy and says, "Are you okay?" He goes, "Yeah." Do you have a place to eat Friday night dinner? He says, Friday night dinner? I don't, I don't have a place to eat at all. He says, good, come, come to my house. Him together with two other boys and one girl that was at the wall, he said, let's go to my house. So Chaim Hanan took four strangers to his home. During the meal, the rabbi would go and give a little Torah thought, and then he would turn to everybody. Let's sing Jewish songs. And he would ask everybody, do you know a Jewish song? And every, if they knew it, they would usually say, I know a song, I remember. David, Malach Yisrael. Whatever song they knew. And then they would all sing it. He wanted everybody to do that thing. So he went to the kid with the knapsack and he said to him, do you know any Jewish songs? He says, uh, I don't know any Jewish song, but I really, really liked the song that they were singing at the wall tonight. It, I don't know what it was, but it was like talking to me. He says, which song? He says, well, everybody was singing in a circle. He said, yeah, 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 that one. I said, okay. So everybody started singing. After a few minutes, went to the next person. Middle of the meal, the young boy goes and says, this 17, 18-year-old boy goes and says, can we sing that song again? I really like it. Sure. Everybody, let's go. Yeah. And he was having a wonderful time singing, and he was banging on the table and singing. He was smiling. Right before the end of dinner, the rabbi goes and asks him, anybody have any questions? This boy goes, says, can we sing that song again? He said, sure. He said, but what's it with the song? He said, I don't know. It just speaks to me. It fills my heart. I never had this feeling before. Rabbi Hanan felt this Jewish soul must be being touched, something. He said, why not? Let's go, everybody. And a banging on the table. Having a great time. Then afterwards, they say to grace after meals, they thank their host and the hostess, and everybody gets up and leaves, except for our boy with the knapsack. So the host goes and says, uh, something you want to talk to me about? And he goes, nope. Is there anything you want to ask me? Nothing. He says, okay. Um, we're kind of finishing, he says. He says, but I have nowhere to sleep. You have nowhere to sleep? So he looks at his wife and he says, and he, he says, you'll take the middle bedroom. He goes in the back and he takes his four-year-old daughter and he puts it into his bed. He says, now you have your own room. All of a sudden, the wife goes and says, who are you letting sleep in the house? What's in his backpack? How do we how do we know he's not a terrorist? Because people with backpacks, they were, this was during the Intifada, they were scared out of their wits. And he goes and he says, No, you can't say that. 
So she says, I'm scared. So he said, you go to sleep. I'm an ex-Israeli soldier. I'll protect the home. I won't go to sleep the whole night. Tells the young boy, it's time for you to go to the room. He says, can I talk to you? He goes, yes. He says, could you tell me about the song? I need to know why it's talking to me. He says, it's a song about bringing in the Sabbath. It's a beautiful song that was written in the 1500s by a great Kabbalist. It's just a great song. So he goes, oh. And he starts crying. She says, what's wrong? He says, by the way, could you tell me your name? He said, all night long, you didn't tell us your name. He says, my name is Muhammad. Your name is Muhammad? He goes, yeah. And now he's thinking in the back of his head, what is going on here? She goes, Muhammad, what's going on? Why are you crying? He says, I was thrown out of my house today. He says, you were thrown out of your house? For what? What did you do? He said, I must tell you, my father was beating up on my mother today. He always beats on my mother. I couldn't take it no more. When my father went out of the house, my mother comes over to me and says, Muhammad, get out of the house. Save yourself before daddy beats you up one day. He says, mommy, I can't. I have to be here to protect you. He says, you go. He says, ma, where am I going to go? So he says, she says to him, I'm telling you a fact now. I want you to go to the Jewish quarters. They'll take care of you. He says, Ma, how do I go to the Jewish quarters? All I have is like a Palestinian papers. My name is Muhammad. How are they going to take? He says, tell me you're Jewish. He says, are you kidding? I'll never tell anybody I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. And I married your dad. And I thought we would live in love. But he took me and he swore to me that if I ever go and leave my home, he'll go after my brothers and sisters. And I adapted Islam as my religion. But you're a Jewish person. Here, go. He says, but nobody will believe me. She says, not true. Show everybody this is your grandfather. And she gave him a picture of a tombstone. He says, just say, this is your great, great, great grandfather from your mother's side. And they'll take care of you. I left scared. I didn't know where to go. So I went to the Western Wall because it was the closest thing that I recognized because it's right next to Al-Aqsa Mosque. And there you were so nice. You were Jewish. You treated me nicely. You gave me your home. and you, you didn't even know who I am. And you're giving me a bed. How can I not cry? My mother is being beaten. I'm Jewish. I'm, I'm a man without a home. And Rabbi Hanan goes and says, can I please see the picture that your mother is talking about? And he goes, yes. And he gives him the picture. Rabbi Hanan started crying. And he goes and says, you don't get it. Do you know who this tombstone is? This is your great-grandfather? He goes, yeah. Look what it says. In Hebrew, it says, Rab Shloima Halevi Alkabetz. The prayer, L'chadoiti, was written by Rab Shloima Halevi Alkabetz. Your soul knew that this is your story. This is you. He picked himself up and he hugged this young Muhammad. And he said, welcome home. You never, ever have to think of yourself having another home. The wife is standing there and she smiles and she says, come, let me show you to your room. A Jewish boy comes home. 
Unfortunately, we don't, I don't know the end of the story about the mommy, but isn't that amazing? His great-grandfather from the 1500s, the Kabbalist, who wrote a powerful song to bring in the Shabbos, touched his soul. Ah, I love these stories. I love these stories. God bless these stories. Listen, everybody, when Shabbos comes, have a beautiful Shabbos. And remember, during the week, you're going to have a lot of decisions to make. I want you to make the right decision. Because when you do the right decision, you're going to be a mensch. And that's what it's all about. Have a great week. And God bless you.